What's up, Eichmer fans? Just before the 2022 Ironman World Championships in Kona, Head Cycling pretty much broke the internet with their unbelievably deep 180mm aero wheel. In this episode, Anne Head talks about its rapid development and the impressive results her athletes got on it at Kona, plus what it means for the future of the brand. We also talk about how the brand is evolving since Steve Head's passing in 2014, why things were quiet for a bit, and a little sneak peek of things to come. She shares a few personal stories about the early days, and just wait until you hear how their first disc wheels were designed, built, and sold. It is a great origin story, and great to hear what they're up to now. Please welcome Ann Head. Hey Ann, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. I'm really glad that you gave me a call. I know we've been trying to get this together for a while, and I'm all ready to talk all about Head and give all your answers to all the folks out there. Awesome. Yeah, we when we first started talking about having you on the show, it was right before Hawaii Ironman Kona, which is a big deal for you guys. You know, you, you got your start in Ironman. Head itself got its start with, you know, Ironman wheels for you. And we'll talk about that in just a second, but I just kind of want to give people a, a idea of what's coming up. So you launched a pretty audacious wheel right before Kona, the 180 mil deep rear arrow, which is just drastically different than any other wheel we've ever seen. And then um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what the company's been up to in particular since Steve's passing and a few years back. But to kick things off, for the people who aren't super familiar with head cycling, you know, what was the origin story? Well, it's a bit of a love story. <laughs> so, <laughs> and a bit of a tearjerker, but head wheels started in the early 80s. And it, it started because I was a young triathlete. And I saw that finish that Julie Moss made crawling across the the Ironman in Kona. And I had um, enrolled in school and I saw that and I'm like, wow, I think I want to try that. So Because that picture makes you want to try that, yeah. right? Jeez. <laughs> I'm not even home. a triathlete and I know what picture you're talking about. Sure. So I found this race in Texas, actually. So I got in my car, drove to Texas, and I won. Uh, it was one of my first triathlons, and that birthed me a spot in the Ironman. Uh, and that was in 1983, so that's going to date me a little bit. Had you been a cyclist or a swimmer or a runner beforehand? I started swimming when I was young, around 13. And honestly, I did not make the swim team when I <laughs> tried the first time. And I think there was 25 or 30 girls that tried. And I, to this day, remember looking at that board, not seeing my name and being devastated. So I went to the local YMCA and joined the team. And there was another woman that has since been a mentor of mine, but she taught me how to swim. And she made me swim and taught me how to swim very fast. So I came back the next year and I still have a record at that <laughs> pool. Nice. Um, so I was a swimmer and I lived in Duluth. Duluth is very hilly and I was a lifeguard. So I'd have to bike to work. And, you know, it was fun going down, but those hills in Duluth uh, were very hard. And, you know, I just kind of picked up jogging and, and a friend of mine introduced me to triathlons. And I think because I was such a strong swimmer is partially why I could have been where I, I won. So that is the background of my athletics. And uh, I, I, I finished that race. I won. I didn't have any money. A friend of mine knew Steve Head. He owned a bike shop. 
He said, you know, go ask him. He might help you with the entry and a bike. And he did. So I walked into a bike shop and there was Steve, barefoot, shirtless, permed magenta <laughs> hair. Just envision this, 80s, right? And he gave me the money and a bike. Uh, and at that time, Stephen was really into uh, the European cycling. And he saw Francisco Mosier set the hour record. And he set the hour record on those double disc wheels. Stephen's background was not only being a uh, graduate in history, not an engineer, he had made water skis. So he took that knowledge of making water skis, went into a garage or basement, and came out with a friend and made the first disc wheel. So he gave it to me, and I became a pro and started racing on Team Mizuno with Julie Moss and some of these other athletes, I didn't win everything. This one guy, Scott Molina, won everything, if some people remember him. And we started getting phone calls for disc wheels. And again, you know, he owned a bike shop. I didn't have much money, uh, but I saw that there was a car for a prize in a race. So I flew out to Vermont and it was a predetermined time and I, and I won the car. Nice. Yeah, so I came back to Minnesota, 21 years old, 22, something like that, went to a bunch of banks, got turned down, but one banker said, what do you have? I have a, com I have a computer and a bike, uh, and I just want a car. So he gave me $14,000, and I gave him the title of the car, and I gave that money to Steve. We weren't married. We were just kind of dating, and the infancy of head cycling started from Steven's, you know, amazing brain and and desire to make something incredible, um, which was a disc wheel and was one of the very first disc wheels that was produced for athletes around the world and my, my earnings of a car. So I have to ask, I mean, that's a huge leap of faith to take a, a very first carbon fiber disc wheel from somebody who hasn't built wheels before and go race on it. I mean, the, the potential for catastrophe seems pretty high. Do you think, I mean, I, I'm just kind of making an assumption here, right? Like it sounds like maybe you weren't a real hardcore cyclist, but you were fit enough to do these things. Were you coming at this from like, you'd been really cycling for a long time and you were familiar with carbon wheels and still took leave of faith? Or were you just like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Like throw it on my bike and it looks fast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess I actually, you know, once then saw him make these and then I actually laid them up too. So some oh, of the wow. very first wheels, uh, I got in there with, you know, rollers and resin and foam. <laughs> and actually the first wheels were, were just dyed resin with fiberglass. We couldn't afford carbon. Oh my gosh. So the very first ones were, like I said, like a foam with fiberglass that we had dyed black. And then we'd run to the, to the local store, like the, you know, like you're just supermarket and buy H E D letters. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, and so every wheel, if you could think about how it started and the labor that went into all those wheels originally, and just like I said, you know, they would run out of an E. Oh boy, we were stuck. We couldn't <laughs> ship wheels that day. <laughs> and th oh this is gosh. the stories behind the scene that you don't even think about, but we had to put it, you know, and I, I just ended up doing all the behind the scenes uh, helping. I mean, I raced professionally for 
about seven years. I did Kona seven times. My last one was in 92 with Steve, actually. Uh, But those are just the stories you don't hear about. Like, okay, well, you got to put your name on it. But, you know, who would have thought that you could (laughs) go to a print shop? You don't see that on the About Us page on your website, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Were the original wheels, because I know your current disc wheels, you build a regular wheel with spokes and everything on an alloy rim. And then you, after it's built, you bond on the carbon, like full disc carbon outer covers. Is that how these first ones were done? Or was the fiberglass actually a structural element? Right. So back then, what we did is you actually have the picture in your, you know, online magazine of that first disc mold. And that was a layer of dyed fiberglass with a structural foam and then another layer of fiberglass. And we'd make two separate sides, the non-drive and the drive side. We would glue it to an aluminum rim. And so for several years, that is the way that we built wheels. So were there spokes inside or the structural foam was what was creating the like structure of the wheel? The foam bonded to the aluminum was the structure of the wheel. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I have to, I mean, I just, I don't know what kind of foam, like I have to ask, were there failures or how many prototypes did you go through to get that where it like what worked it was, for an Ironman distance? That's an sure. insane accomplishment. It was, well, you know, with anything, you're going to have failure. So I do remember, you know, Steve getting frustrated at times and tossing those skins. We, you know, we call them pizza flying across, you know, (laughs) because, you know, they didn't always work out. And honestly, uh, in 89, we moved into a home that was zoned I2 commercial so we could live in it and make wheels in the basement and garage. And it would be real frustrating sometimes because it was difficult finding the adhesive between the carbon and the alloy. So that was the biggest difficulty was A, making that good bond and B, making it true and round. So, you know, you could spend all this time and energy taking those skins and bonding them, but it you had to make sure they, they were rideable. So we, to this day, do make a, a all-carbon disc not with structural foam, but, but, you know, our Volo disc that has, you know, been used by Alex Dowsett and Lionel Sanders and Tom Zerbel. It is made hollow also, but most of the current disc wheels that we make now have spokes in them with coverings because we can, we can get really arrow with the designs that we have now. Uh, and we've tested them that, you know, the the shapes of some of these other wheels and the ride of them, the ride with an alloy. I mean, with spokes is is more like a, a traditional wheel, which some people prefer. Right. And you still use the, the bonded construction method now, especially for your rim brake wheels. You use an alloy rim because that was one of the things that always struck me about head was like you guys held out and held out and held out on the disc brake thing because you didn't or I'm sorry, on. The carbon rim thing, because, you know, Steve was not going to make a carbon rim for rim braking. And, you know, having ridden several, I mean, I can see why, right? Especially if it got wet. But there were just, there were issues early on with, you know, heat buildup. And it took a lot of work for brands to get to the point where we had safe carbon rims for rim braking. You know, disc brakes, of course, changed all that. But 
to this day, all of your rim brake rims still use an alloy rim with a carbon fairing. When you made the jump to a full carbon rim for disc brakes, how hard was that to do? Because your expertise was not there yet. So the original time that we had made what we call the Vanquish, and we realized that there was so much heat in a carbon rim for braking. And it wasn't just the heat in the carbon, it was the tubes were not withstanding the heat. We just stopped and we decided that we're not gonna go in that direction. And instead of making a rim brake carbon wheel, that's when we introduced the grooved black rims, you know, where we take, which you also took a photo of, where we take an aluminum rim and we add the groove surface and then black anode. Because we, to this day, it's just an incredible wheel for stopping power. Like, you know, if you're going down any type of descent and, and it's wet, those those break phenomenally. So we didn't actually... Uh, decide to move into the disc brake all carbon wheel until close to 2017-18. It was when we decided that disc brakes were going to actually be on the market and we felt good about it. And that's when we introduced the Vanquish lineup and started selling it to you know, all of our folks. But it was after Stephen had passed that we decided that we should go ahead and and start this market. It wasn't easy. I mean, um, you know, you, you've had this technology of molding in a different way. And that's where I decided that I was going to put a lot of resources into tooling people and presses and molds. And we weren't going to introduce something like that until we felt as a company that we could really go ahead and make a premier product. We also have a patent on that shape, on that toroidal shape. And we made sure that we could make that in an all carbon disc wheel, disc brake what, wheel. What was it about? Oh, well, a couple of questions. So first, what, what were the main challenges in going to a full carbon rim for you? And then also like when you looked at other brands that have been doing full carbon rims for quite a few years prior to you, was there something you noticed about theirs that you weren't happy with and like something you wanted to improve on specifically? Well, we knew we had the arrow shape. Okay. So, you know, we have had a patent on what we call the stinger design. So we, we had to make sure we could get that arrow shape also in an all carbon clincher wheel. So we knew that there was a lot of work to do to make sure we could do this because I wasn't going to make a wheel that was inferior aerodynamically. I mean, what head is mostly and has always been known as, as the wheel industry leader. And we wanted to make sure that we could mold this way. Uh, so, so part of it was going from weave carbon that we had done in the past to uni uni holds um or or prepreg so we had done in the past some of the wet layup and so everything changed to uh uni fibers um instead of wet layup so we we had that hurdle to get over to change a little bit of the process for that uh, but we we kind of knew what was going on with competitors and what they were doing. 
And we just wanted to make a superior product. So it, it, it took a little longer for us to, to get to that point because we wanted to be the best still. And so, you know, I'm not going to, you know, everybody wind tunnel tests. And I, I, I know that, you know, you can go and look online and, and read different, you know, independent tests, but we have third party independent, I mean, third party testing that ha- knows that our design and our patented shape is still really the fastest out there. So we just took our time and made sure it was right. You know, um, and, you know, when Stephen passed away in 2014, you know, there was some silent time there and people didn't know what we were up to. And right before he passed or the day he passed, we had, you know, the Cervello engineers here and they had asked us to make a one piece carbon fiber frame. The day that we made that prototype and that Stephen told me, hey, we're going to make this, it, it worked you know, is the same day he passed. So if he had said to me, hey, it didn't work, they don't want to do it, I would have never gone ahead with that project. But because that was my last conversation with him and it was so impactful and the joy and the happiness I heard in his voice, from 2014 in November to 2016 in the Kona Ironman, we couldn't talk about that frame. We were working on it for them. So that took a lot of time and resources, but it was truly a labor of love of why I went and continued to make that frame. You know, so it took a lot of resources and time and people to do that, but it did also teach us different molding techniques that we were able to move forward and make some of our newer wheels with newer technology and different tooling and technology. Yeah. Well, I had no idea that that, that timing with that frame, and everything. Cause I remember you know, when I visited you guys a few months ago and people can read the factory tour up on bike rumor now that, you know, the frame is there in your foyer. That's man, that's uh, that's something. So what is it? Why do you think Cervello came to you guys? Had Stephen been working with him and talking to him or had you been talking to them prior and already had a relationship or did they just look at what you guys were doing with carbon before that and you know like how did that come to be where you guys got to do that frame for them and we're talking about the p5x just correct reference yeah you know um it's a small world it's a small industry and they had come to us because they wanted some of our jet wheels actually they they want we're looking for something affordable and we uh were making some jet wheels for them and when they came here and they saw that a we have you know an, an amazing facility but I think what they were most interested in is that, you know, it would be proprietary, it would be made in the USA, and, you know, we have a very skilled workforce. So they came to us and had said, you know, we'd never done this before. There's never really been a a lot of mass or not mass produced, but, you know, uh, of a one piece molded frame and they believed we could do it. So, you know, it was just one of those small relationships that grew. And Stephen, like I said, was, he was really excited to do it. You know, we love making wheels and it was just a challenge, I guess, and something we'd never done before. I mean, Canada's a lot closer than Taiwan or China. So I think they liked that we could pick up the phone and talk to them and, you know, work alongside them. But like I said, we never imagined that 
that day that prototype was made was the same day that that Stephen, well, he he didn't officially pass away that day. It was four days later, but that was my last conversation with him. So again, had it not gone like that, I would have never made that frame. Yeah. What was the breakthrough that that day he was like, okay, this works? Well, you, you know, you can go to your bike rumor online and look, but it was a prototype of a small, it looks like a pony to me, but it, it was just like this small one. We, we were able to mold one piece with a bladder. So most frames like that are glued or they're not a one piece. So, you know, it was a huge day for innovation for us. Uh, and I think it was just, you know, he, he was the one that did the, you know, he even made the own, his own latex bladders for that. There's, you know, it's wow. just was so, innovative. And so I think for him to be so elated with believing that he could do it. That's awesome. Well, let's go back to aerodynamics for a a minute, because it's going to lead into that crazy new wheel you've got. You and I've had a few conversations over the past couple of months kind of leading up to this. And I, I, I just, I love what you said to kind of tee up that wheel was that you know, you have the patents on that toroidal, toroidal shape. And, you know, there's some people license it. Some people have come close to mimic it. And like you said, some people have just outright kind of used it without paying any royalties or stolen the design. And <laughs> your comment was, well, they're going to do it anyway. So I'm just going to do something so wild that they're going to have to follow us again. And then boom, we have this 180 millimeter deep wheel that you you prototyped. And I, you know, I don't want to ruin the story because it's awesome. But like 45 days from concept to a wheel that you could ride. And then you took it to Kona and put pros on it to race. Like that's nuts. Oh my gosh. I honestly, Tyler, I am still pinching myself. I don't know how we did it. You know, triathlons in my blood. I mean, I, I love working with the Tour de France athletes and the gravel riders now, but you know, I just, when I watch a triathlon, I just, I just get goosebumps like I was watching earlier today. There's a race going on in Daytona where we had some great finishes. But when I was young in in the 80s and I was in Kona, I had come from a triathlon in Japan straight to Kona with my disc wheel. And I was on the Kona bike course training and Stephen hadn't come over from Minnesota yet. And I, to this day, still remember this person on a, like a ref coming up when I was just training saying, get off the course with that disc wheel. You know, you're not supposed to be on here. And I'm like, I know I'm, I'm not going to race with it, but I I need to train. I'm waiting for Steve to come over. And, you know, this was years ago and you know how something just resonates with you. Like, and we haven't had Kona for, for two full years because of COVID. And I sat down with some of my R&D and engineer folks and I just said, we have to do something amazing. We have to do something different. And we had worked on some other designs and it, it just didn't look right to me. And it just, it was just a thought. I swear it was channeled from above. I think Stephen was just <laughs> throwing pennies down at me. And and in the meeting, it just popped in my mind. And I said, I want to make a jet wheel. We've been doing it for 30 years, but let's go as deep as we can possibly go and not make it a disc wheel. And my team just looked at me and said, okay, how deep you want to make it? And I said, let's just go as deep as we can. And and they said, okay, we're going to sit down and take your idea and we're going to go with it. And so within 
a week we had a design that just happened to be 180 millimeters deep. We had done some different modeling. We'd been to that course years and years. We knew what the winds were and we drew up this, this shape and tooled it in the new five axis CNC, molded it. And the first mold that came out, the first, you know, skin, Nate handed it to me and I said, oh dear, what if it's not legal? You know, what if they, because a full disc wheel is, isn't legal, but. Why is that for, for us non-triathletes? So uh, in Hawaii years ago, some people just thought because the crosswinds and the winds coming off the ocean would blow you over if you had a disc wheel. Well, you know, if you think about it, you got to worry about that front wheel. You know, the disc wheel, they just, it was just, a, it's just, just a rule. It's an old rule. Hmm. So I called a friend of mine at Ironman and then I said, I need to talk to the lawyer because I'm not going to make this, build it, send it to my athletes and then only to have it pulled because we have had some other arrow bars pulled there before. So I got a hold of him and, and he said, as long as you bring what you're showing me, it's legal. By all means, it's legal. So that was maybe three weeks before the race. <laughs> Nothing like down to the wire, huh? Well, yeah, because the race was the 6th and the 10th and I was flying and getting there on the 29th of September. And this was the, this was actually the first week now in September. Cause it, one of my employees, I remember it still, he had a baby and he had to come in and, and after the baby was born. And I mean, this is like a small family here. He had to glue those skins on. So I knew it was something special. And I watched every single one of those dozen wheels get laid up, drilled. I mean, I can tell you who laid them up, Chase or Nate, drilled it was Mike or Kurt, you know, and then Andy laced everyone and and Nate glued them and Sam and Max and, you know, Mike, they all helped design the molds and Dave helped. I mean, it it is such a, an, an amazing product because I can tell you every person that touched that wheel. And then I, I'm like, okay, I better get them to a few of the athletes. So instead of like calling magazines like you and other folks, I'm like, I don't really have time. I, I, I knew it was going to be fast because we made a couple in the engineers here and I sat there with a the stopwatch and I, and I had them do loops and I, cause my athletes were like how much faster it's going to be. And I, I knew it was faster than a, than a six, nine. It, you know, obviously it didn't test as fast as a disc, but I, um, I think what's so special about it is that I released it on what would have been our 32nd wedding anniversary. I sent it to Lionel Sanders and then it went crazy viral. He's a crazy, wonderful person, but he just looked at it like, what, you know, like this, this is amazing. And my daughter helped with the logo and Andrew took all the pictures. So our whole family was involved. And the reason I put a Steve signature on there, because it was going to be our wedding anniversary. So I wanted it. I wanted Steve on that wheel as part of it. And then I signed my name on the other side so that it was super, super special to me. And then I went over there and every single pro that I was working with, you know, Magnus Ditlev and Sam Laidlow, Michael Weiss, Leon, the ladies, Lauren Brandon and, and Josh and McCulley and Elisabetta. I'm sure I forgot somebody, but 
What was so amazing is Lauren and Jocelyn wrote it on the woman's day and, and they were having phenomenal days on the wheel. In fact, I think Jocelyn came off fifth and Susie Chetham is who I forgot. She came off the bike in 11th, but a few of them didn't have the best runs, but I knew after listening to them that they were really happy with that wheel. And then the men's day, I couldn't watch. I was, I was just so, I get so nervous, you know, <laughs> but, you know, Sam laid low, came off the bike six minutes ahead of everybody, six wow. minutes yeah, and 112 miles. And he, it, we said it was just like a sail and, uh, Magnus Ditlev was right up there off the bike, but unfortunately got a penalty. And then I had, um, Leon Chevalier came in a, so we had three guys in the top 10. Nice. So that's a, that's a huge amount of trust because they really probably didn't get very much time, if any, on it before the race. You hadn't, but at this point, you still hadn't done wind tunnel testing. So they're really just going on you with a stopwatch saying, yep, it's faster. And they're like, all right, send it. Yeah. I mean, they, these athletes, you know, believe in our legacy and they believe that I'm going to hand them a wheel that is safe, uh, above all safe, you know, so I knew that it would pass, you know, we did, we did the, I don't know, 300 kilometers on the bump machine, 70,000 bumps on it. It's an extension of a jet wheel we've made for 30 years, but they, you know, I said to them, if, if you don't want to use this, you know, it's, it's up to you, you know, but they all used it and the ladies and the guys both just raved about it. And, you know, to walk away from that race having the fastest now wheel on record is is a huge blessing it gives me you know i have to believe in myself like you know i have i have steven's big shoes you know and <laughs> even though i was alongside him in in all those years cuz we were married for 25 years and i was more in the background this truly was my idea. And I think that it doesn't matter what age you are or how long you've been in this business, you have doubts, you have, you know, what am I doing? I mean, you know, it's, it, it's not always easy. Yeah. That imposter syndrome never goes away, does it? Never. Uh, so I think, I think what I'm also so incredibly proud of for that race, and that's why I'm still pinching myself is we, we made wheels for Chris Nickick. And Chris is the very first athlete with Down syndrome that has finished the Hawaiian Ironman also. So this race to me was so incredibly special to work with an athlete like Chris, you know, who is so gifted and so special and then being able to work along all the other athletes and, and set the, the course record. So let's talk a little bit about C's legacy. You mentioned that. What's and you even said, you know, like we were all kind of wondering, like, what's going to happen now, right? Because, like you said, he was the face of the company, and clearly it's a team effort. But if he was the lead engineer and doing the work, right, and then it passes away, like, what's what's next? And clearly, there's been some stuff, but there was definitely a period where I think the most we saw from Head was, you know, new decals or a new naming scheme. What was going on in the those? three, four, five years without a lot of new products and, and what's coming up? Like what's in the pipe? Sure. So I'm a mom first. Okay. So my daughter was 16. She was just in, uh, had just gotten into uh, high school. My son had just entered uh, college, you know, so 
when you have a tragedy like I have, you know, you you lean on your family. And my first and always will be my first job, you know, as a parent was to make sure my kids were okay. So I really leaned on we have Christian faith and I really leaned on the schools that they were at and made sure that they were we're going to get through this because, you know, it was Stephen was a wonderful father and big mentor uh, to Rebecca and Andrew. So, you know, that that came first. What had also happened is we had just recently introduced the very first, uh, you know, carbon fat rim. Um, remember that there hadn't been any fat rims made out of carbon prior to that. So once we moved uh, into this new building, which was three weeks after Stephen passed, we were really busy with the carbon fat room, really busy with the frame. But then, you know, the resources and time and energy it took to make that frame and those fat wheels, our road wheels stayed the same for a while. There wasn't a lot of new innovation with those. So there came a time where I had to meet and and I started meeting with mentors and business, other people to help me. I joined a roundtable. I started Traction, which is an entrepreneurial organizational system so that I could put the right people in the right seats. You know, since then, a few have moved on. You know, it was tough on everybody. So I, since then, have brought on some new staff. I spent a lot of resources on tooling and people. You know, COVID hit and it was it was actually a mixed blessing because we were were able to go back and look into the building here and put money into, like you said, the new five axis CNC, some new molds, tooling, cutting and resources into people. And we then introduced, you know, some new gravel wheels, the Emporia wheel. And we also were fortunate to get some more new extrusions for some of the aluminum rims that we make. But we use that time to find the right people, the right resources and tooling so that we can keep pushing the envelopes on some new wheels. And so we're looking at making some of our wheels, you know, obviously we have the, you know, the tubeless technology has come a long way, but we have a lot of hookless rims coming up in the future. Of course, the Emporia was, uh, carbon was hookless, but, you know, we we have OEs that we work with. We work with, you know, Quintana Rule and Lightspeed and Time and Seven and some of these other smaller folks, and they just couldn't get the tires and tubes <laughs> or the tires <laughs> for some of this, you know, new technology. So again, I, I don't feel like we're, behind in that area. We have a lot of energy and time right now into some new developments and wait to see what the possibilities are with similar wheels like the 180. Can't get into that completely, but the UCI, I called them and they said, hmm, yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> it doesn't really fall into that three to one ratio, does it? <laughs> uh, I, won- I was wondering when you were going to call. So, um, again, that wheel is patented, pending, <laughs> um, and has design patent and trademark, but. And is that for a shape? Like, do you, is, is it introducing a new toroidal, uh, sorry, I can't even get that word out, toroidal, toroidal. shape? Um, 
I or what is into, it? What do you? Yeah, I, okay. I can't get into everything <laughs> that is being patented on that wheel. But you know, it's it is legal for track and hmm. time trial right now. Very cool. You know, so you know, I'm working on you know what what other iterations can we do? And again, you want to have a safe wheel, like you wouldn't use that on a front in the Kona, you know, with crosswinds, but there's certain applications. So now I'm going through the UCI regulation to get different uh, opportunities for other races. Very cool. So that, um, I'm curious with the jet wheels and just for people who aren't too familiar, um, the jet wheels are the ones with an alloy rim and then the carbon fairing. Is it, or at least for the the rim brake ones, but is there very much development going on with the alloy rims itself? Because, you know, everything is moving ahead. So over the years, have you gotten like a lighter, better alloy rim as part of that? Because, you know, it's like for us, like most of the news is around a new product, not necessarily like a little iteration. And sometimes brands will have like a running change and not even talk about it. Yeah, I mean the the aluminum market is still really strong, especially for for the OE market. You know, because you want something affordable for that that entry level bike with the opportunities for people to upgrade to carbon. So we've been uh, busy. You know, we've we've changed a little bit uh, of our alloy fat rims and and made them stronger. We've got some designs in house for some of our gravel alloy because some people still really like like the price point of a seven hundred and fifty dollar wheel, you know, made out of alloy. So, uh, and again, I think we're one of the very few uh, manufacturers that are making rim brake only. So we are still making those. A lot of the other competitors aren't, but we are working and have made some of our jet style rims with a carbon rim also. So for disc brakes, for disc brake only. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you will see mid next year or maybe sooner some of the other products that we're working on that have that jet look on a carbon rim too. So with the current jet disc brakes with the carbon rim, is it still the same construction where you start with the carbon rim and then you you bond that fairing on? Or is it like, is the fairing and the rim all molded as one piece and then the, the spokes are actually like, you know, sitting down at the, the bottom of the... It depends which wheel you're talking about. So, you know, if it's <laughs> a 60 or a 90 mil, we bond and then we do the, um, the spoking. The, the 180 is a different story. So, you know, it depends on the wheel that we're making, whether, you know, whether it's bonded first or bonded after. Okay. So the 180, is it, is it laced to the lower carbon fairing part or is the, are the spokes running all the way up to that deep fairing to like a, you know, like are the nipples way up high at the outer, I guess, circumference? I'm totally failing on words today. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. So, so we have to have the skin on there lace it and then bond it hmm. okay interesting so is part of the the patent stuff and i know you don't want to talk about all of it is part of it like a, a process patent or is it purely a design patent both actually wow okay yeah Neat. we're going after both very cool yeah it's it's um 
you know, I mean, you, you, it's great to be first, right? How many firsts are there in this world still? I mean, I think that's, that's another thing I'm so proud about is some of the athletes that we work with, you know, are the first, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Rach McBride, the first non-binary athlete, Cody Beals, first gay athlete. Uh, and we've got, like I said, Chris Nickick, you know, the, the list goes on and on, but I think that being the first at something, you know, people remember that us being the first at making that carbon fiber, you know, or fiberglass disc wheel in the eighties, you know, it's, it's, it's just thought of as one of those firsts in life, you know? So I'm, I'm really proud that I had this idea and that it worked, you know, it doesn't happen very often. When, when when you have yeah. an idea and, you know, and it, there's and a it, lot of ideas I have that don't work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I guess I think I have to go into my inner strength and, and the, the difficulties in life where you just pull ahead and you say, okay, learn from those past mistakes or challenges or tragedies just to keep moving forward. Cause you know, I, I love what I do. I get up most mornings and I can't wait to get, get in here. And I think, you know, that's, that's why I'm still doing this. And I don't think I would have ever had this idea had I not loved the sport, loved cycling, you know, as much as I do. Awesome. Well, I want to close with one thing because I think there's also some significance to that, the 180 number, right? Oh, sure. So the 180 millimeter, it's 180 kilometers is is an Ironman distance. So um, it just kind of happened. <laughs> so just, was it pure coincidence or? Pretty much, you know, it kind of was that sweet spot where we felt that we could get the aerodynamics that we wanted, yet be able to build the wheel. You know, it, if you go really <laughs> deep, I mean, it's it it was amazingly easier than we thought to build it. Uh, at first, we were really saying, "Okay," I said, "just just drill it, let's go that deep, and we're going to figure it out." And and uh, Andy saw me hovering over as he was lacing it. And he said, come back in an hour, Annie. <laughs> and I came back in an hour and it was laced and true. Wow. Very cool. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and, and, and for sharing so much of the story. I know, you know, it's a lot of sensitive subjects in there, but uh, it was awesome to hear everything. Yeah. I love talking about it. And I think that, you know, it is, it is a good story, you know, so I'm really thrilled that I could share my story. And, you know, I'm super happy that we're here in the U.S. making U.S. goods and all the folks out there are supporting my staff and my employees. And, you know, we're, we like being here and, and working alongside other U.S. made goods. And we're just proud that we're able to, to get through what we've gone through and to keep making cool product. Yeah, that had to have been helpful during when the supply chain issues and maybe still now, you know, getting wheels, were you able to supply wheels when a lot of Asian suppliers weren't? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it was, like I said, a, kind of a blessing, a restart for us. We could, you know, work in, in tool and, and, and build some new presses and projects. And I think that we were able to supply a lot quicker because our carbon's woven here in the U.S. too, than some of the other, other manufacturers out there. But you know, now now the, the world's changed a little bit, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. 
If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land, and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at Bike Rumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.